Welcome to The Clappers. This is Andrew Young. And this is Carl Quinn. On this episode of The Clappers, we talk the good Lord Bird. We talk the Salisbury poisonings. We talk Rams. We talk Emily in Paris. Something for everybody. Well, Andrew, it's so exciting. Cinemas in Melbourne, in all of Victoria, in fact, are open again after seven months in which they were closed with the exception of about a week. And that means you could go and see Rams, which is pretty good fun. Um, Sam Neill and Michael Caton um, playing brothers who are sheep farmers in WA have not talked to each other for 40 years. Exactly why is never quite understood or explained. Um, and uh, a, a, a disease sweeps through their valley and the health authorities order all of the sheep to be killed. And uh, Sam Neill's character, Colin, um, squirrels a few away, although I don't know if you'd call it squirreling when they're sheep. That's probably the wrong word, isn't it? He loves his sheep so much that he's going to secretly protect them, uh, which, of course poses a potential risk to the rest of the valley, which is that they might be infectious and who knows what will happen. Lizard's ram is sick. Farmers have been shocked by the discovery of a highly infectious disease. Don't take it, mate. A control plan has been put in place in the hope of containing the outbreak. We spent half our lives in here. It means everything to them. That's it, mate. They're taking the whole bloody valley. Why don't they take us while they're at it? Finish the job. You gotta follow the rules. No kidding. It's a remake of a, of the 2015 film uh, from Iceland also called Rams, and that was a very, very bleak piece of work. It was billed as a comedy, but only the, uh, I think only the Scandinavians could have called it a comedy. It was pretty chilly. Um, this is more obviously in the in the sort of rural, quirky, Aussie comedy kind of space, although I don't think it falls into the traps it's some of those those films do it's it keeps a pretty um nice balance i think between the darkness of the original and a, a lighter kind of you know quirky family quirky community kind of vibe and uh I, I rather like this film and i think it's worth checking out and it's especially worth checking out because it's it's actually showing you can go to a cinema yes i saw the original film i loved it right and and I probably wouldn't say it's bleak. You wouldn't say it was can, bleak. Yeah, I can understand why some would. You know, I'll, I'll just say, and and without inviting you to give it away, I'll just say the final scene. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's about it, as bleak it's as it gets. It certainly has a uh, uh, reminds one of uh, Douglas Stewart's play Fire on the Snow about uh, Robert Falcon Scott's doomed expedition to the Antarctic. A particular scene in that reminded me but it's i love this film I, yeah. I thought it was marvelous in every every respect it was mean nasty um <laughs> cranky and unkind all of, all of which some people might say qualify it yes. for the term bleak <laughs> drunk brother versus sober brother good brother versus bad brother righteous brother versus cool brother Cain uh, versus abel yeah Cain versus abel yes yeah. uh, it's it's 
it's really interesting in, in an Australian context because we have we are so fortunate here to have eradicated or to have held at bay certain diseases that devastate livestock in Europe and the United States. And while I think at times you side with um, Kitty, the brother who won't kill his sheep in the original film, uh, at the he, same he, time... He called Les and played by Michael Caton. You could you'd be aware of what it danger and how devastating it is when something like foot and mouth or um, bovine spongy form cephalitis all those different things that can really just devastate a whole zone um, of animals it's it's really interesting uh, can moral conundrum yeah but this this film unlike i suspect the australian film which i won't be seeing this film is very very funny <laughs> i can't imagine this film being if this film was made by um taika waititi in new zealand with sam Neil and some other New Zealander, I would be lining up for it for sure. I just can't see with Michael Caton and Miranda Richardson it really carrying the the tragedy slash humour in the same way. I'm yep. just making that prediction. Well, um, I think it, it, it definitely changes the tone a bit. It's it's mm. um, it's not an exact replica by any means. I mean, like mm. you know, the Miranda Richardson uh, character she plays a vet in this barely even exists in the in the Icelandic film. Mm, she, she's true. there, yep. I think, well, I suppose to introduce a kind of a, a slightly different dynamic for um, for the Sam Neill character, Colin. Um, so Sam Neill's the saving the sheep guy? Yeah. Yep. 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 Cool. Um, and uh, uh, Jeremy Sims, who has directed this, I think really just wanted to put Miranda Richardson in the film. Sure, why not? <laughs> because you know, he thinks she's, as he said to me, she's the he thinks she's the most underrated actor in the world, okay. um, and he would put her in anything. And mm -hmm. uh, so I think you know he he called her up from the pub and she said yes, and he was like, right, great. So, so wait a second. He, he called her up from the pub and she said, yes, I am the most underrated actor in the world. <laughs> no, she said, yes, I'll do it. If you want, if you want only to see the the Icelandic version, but with Australian landscape, you'd be disappointed, I think, yeah, in this. Yeah, sure. Oh, this, you don't want to completely remake something exactly. Well, I, I don't think... I think that's a waste of time and money. It's not like Gus Van Sant remaking Psycho, exactly. let's thinking, say. It is not the that. exact same thing. While you're talking about films, just really quickly, is there a film, right? It's not your favourite film. So feel free to tell me your favourite mm -hmm. film of all time. But one that you find without realising until you actually think about it, you've seen an inordinate, like, a, a lot of times, more than makes any sense to anybody. Hmm. I, I think... No, it would be... Mm, would be my sort of... Uh, my gut feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe Alien. Okay. Which is probably my favourite film. Oh, um, really? Yeah, and that's one that I've sort of sought out repeatedly. Yeah, because it's but, your favourite. You're going to yeah, see yeah, it yeah, a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a sort of... It's a film that I'll re-watch every so often to see if, it, if, you know, it still holds up and, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I think it does. I mean, you know, obviously mm -hmm. the special effects look a little bit dated in places, but, you yeah. know, it's, I, I think it's remarkable. Um, but no, because I, I see so many mm. that... It kind of feels like a luxury I can't really afford to yeah, 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 to just yeah, watch course. a film I've already seen because there's always yeah. some something else that I I should be watching instead. Yeah, so of course. and and it's you know it's a bit like um, 
uh, you know, my wife writes about restaurants and the idea of going back to a place just because mm. it was great is something that she can't really do. <laughs> Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. It's, and it's, it's like, a shame. there are a lot of, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not expecting the world's smallest violin to kick in at this point no, in no, time. No, no, There's no. a lot of upside in this, but, is, yes. but the downside is that revisiting a favourite is actually, it, it's a luxury that you just don't really have time for. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Why? Why do you ask? Oh, no, well, I've, there's a couple of films that I'll, I'll find myself accidentally watching and I'll realise, man, I've seen this film so many times like not to the point where i'm i I know all the dialogue but some of it and it's the stranger thing because in in any kind of top 10 list of films these films would never appear mine or anybody's top 10 list of films but there are some that each time i watch i see i'll I'll see some different inflection or be a different different perspective on on it than than i originally saw and it's go on give us give us one give you one i'll give you two uh john frankenheimer ronan Right, and which I've seen once. I've seen that like eight times, I reckon, right. maybe even <laughs> ten. And it's really good. And it I know we we discussed a while ago the uh, the car rig in yeah, it. Yeah, and, yeah and, exactly. And, and I was wondering, how, how do you know so much about this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other is A Bridge Too Far, which oh, yeah. Goldman wrote about Operation Market, Market Garden, um, uh, a completely failed and... Um, uh, dangerous and foolish plan by Montgomery to um, shorten the war somewhat in well in the World War Two war, and I've seen that so many times, and I just don't know why. I mean, I do know why because there's some really good moments in it, and I'm interested in historical films and battles, but it's just the funniest thing how things like that creep up on you. There's one I can think of that I've seen quite a few mm. times, but again, mm. it's sort of deliberate, and that's it's Wonderful Life. Um, ah, yeah, yeah. That, I've never fun. seen that. Really? Mm. Ah. And I think I'd never seen it, never seen it, never seen it. And it got to a point where I thought, oh, I don't want to see this. This looks corny and embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> which, and, which it is, but it's also yeah. great. The Salisbury Poisonings. Mm. Now, the Salisbury Poisonings is a is a, a mini. What do you call it? What do you call them? You call it a mini series. Mini series. Yeah, yeah it's, it's got a few. It's episodes. got more than one episode. It's a mini series. Yeah. Oh, there's another term they've been using, but as as apposite as that appears to be to our times. I would suggest watching the Soderbergh film first if you intend to watch that. What's the Soderbergh film? The Contagion. Oh yeah. Came out. When did that come out? Like quite a 2008, while. Two thousand and eight, I think. It's, yeah. Yeah. It it is it is set in a world very similar to ours, where uh, a series of of strange events occur, very similar to what's been happening now, where the whole world ends up in uh, a panic mode with people dying in in their millions. Um, from a disease that's initially um, spread from bat to pig to man. Hang on, and hang on. We're talking contagion here, right? Yeah. Which, yeah, by the way, yeah. was 2011, I've just checked. Um, okay. Yep. Right. Now get to Salisbury poisonings. Yeah, okay, okay. So 
it's it's a similar situation where there has been a terrible event occur no one really knows what it is but they know that people in in an apparently random way are starting to suffer these horrible symptoms and no one knows how to fix them and some of them some of them die of course we know we know we now know what that was which which was that these uh, uh, soviet uh, double agent and his daughter were poisoned um, by Soviet agents. Oh, they're not called Soviet anymore, are they? They're called Russians now, <laughs> by Russian agents. And it, that that particular poison found its way into uh, various parts of the small city of Salisbury. I, I can't remember the name of the poison, but it was one of those poisons that is is just the the worst kind of thing. I think it was it was an aerosol spray yeah. that sprayed onto the the two people uh, by a, by you know in in a crowd by a passerby, and then that spray gets thrown into a skip, and then someone finds the the spray from the skip and sprays it on themselves, thinking it's perfume. And oh man, it's a it's a really uh, terrifying uh, look at how a, a terrible toxic poison deliberately maids to to kill people can be spread in an in an unwitting and careless way it's a drama it's it's not fiction but it's all the people all the actors in it play real life humans uh but the scripts the script has been made from interviews and from dossiers and documents that have been you know made public subsequent to what happened and it is even though you know what happens in the end or maybe you don't but most people would it's thrilling and it's frightening and especially in the way that you have uh, one person uh, making all these suggestions about how to reduce the uh, spread and how they should lock down what they should do and they're constantly being ignored and it gets worse and it gets worse and it's it's a great show it's uh, British like I say three episodes and really something to enjoy while we're in this period here of COVID-19 restrictions. Salisbury Poisonings is on SBS On Demand. I'll check it out. My name is Captain John Brown! Whatever he believed, he believed. Didn't matter if it was true or not. The old man was nuttier than a squirrel turd. Like a lot of programs, Good Lord Bird starts with one of those, this is all true, but it's not really true. You know how that's been coming? I do indeed. It's uh, kind of, I I guess it's... Annoying? Oh, no, not necessarily. I mean, it's, it's revisionist history that sort of, I guess... Um, posits the idea sort of implicitly that all history is to a degree um, you know fabulated yeah. um, that that there's always going to be subjective interpretations and there's always going to be a little bit of license taken with events um, mm-hmm. I, I, well I kind of think it's in that but it's also I guess it just allows for license to be playful as well and mm. I've only seen the first episode of Good Lord Bird, and yep. I liked it. It did feel 
slightly unhinged, I've got to say. It is. I think that's a good way of putting it. I think the suggestion... Okay, so it's about abolitionist John Brown, who was executed, and I think the, the, the show starts with a, a, a narrator, a boy, describing that. And I didn't know much about him. I, only one SRA card from grade two is, is the extent of my knowledge of John Brown. <laughs> If you don't know what an SRA card is, look them up. You can occasionally get the whole sets or complete sets on eBay for quite a lot of money, depending on which era they're from. I don't think I have thought of SRA cards since I was in about grade three. Do you know I think about them probably more than anybody else in the world? <laughs> I loved it. SRA cards, if people want to know. Uh, they are... A graduated comp English comprehension, but also including arts, biology, science, sciences, uh, all kinds of things. You read the card on the front, and then you turn the card over and you answer writing down questions about the card, and then your teacher will give you however many you got right marks. They start off very easy. They, the, the text gets dense. The card's always the same size. It's about the size of a 10-inch record cover. No, probably smaller than that about size of 7-inch record cover. Anyway, um, I loved them. And I can remember at the end of grade six when that was going to be it for SRA cards, my grade six teacher saying, so anybody wants to finish up their SRAs, get all the way through to the end? I was like, ran down the front, couldn't wait to get to the end of the S. Wanted to make sure I completed my SRA uh, program. Including the one on John Brown. Well, that was in grade two, so I'd, I'd moved beyond. Uh, Nathan Hale is a, a revolutionary... Uh, figure who I also learnt from uh, uh, Look, I don't want to be SRA a killjoy but can I suggest we get back to Good yeah, Lord Bird? we can cut all the SRA business out for sure. So Good Lord Bird's about John Brown, an abolitionist it appears at the very start of the program that he's some kind of fugitive from I'm not sure which government it, I'm not sure if the, it seems like the Civil War has yet to be declared so to speak and so there is still just one government in the United States slavery is still something that is, is, is not illegal at all but essential to the economies of the southern part of the United States he is a very religious and righteous man who makes great big speeches and seems yeah completely unhinged and off his rocker he somehow adopts a girl who is not a girl but he thinks is called a girl called Henrietta but he's really a boy called Henry and he gives him a dress to wear and Henry just goes along with it he's a, 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 a not a son of a slave, I don't think, but his, his father's shot at the very start, I think by accident. Mm, uh, I wouldn't say it's of... accident. No? Okay. Uh, yeah, sort of, well, I suppose accident is sort of collateral damage, but, you know, mm. it, it involves white racists and uh, yes. you're, you're, you're neglecting to mention that Henry slash Henrietta is, in fact, a black kid. Yeah, I was about to. Oh, okay, sorry. Sorry to jump the gun. <laughs> it's okay. Mate. It's okay. It's absolutely significant that uh, Henrietta uh, is is a black kid. They travel on the run. They get into skirmishes. Uh, John Brown has uh, sons that accompany him on this grand march. I'm not quite sure where, uh, and I'm not quite sure what they expect to do. But they're armed and they're angry and they're looking for fights to pick with. Uh, representatives of, of, of the forces of evil who condone slavery. As I say, I've only seen the first episode, but I would say that the mission, John Brown's mission, and I, mm. I should also say that he's played, I think, quite brilliantly by Ethan Hawke uh, mm -hmm. um, with this just sense of 
Uh, he's it's somewhere between inspired and just a lunatic. Mm. Um, I think their mission, their quite quite clear mission, is to provoke um, armed conflict between those forces who represent slavery Didn't and those who this? represent liberation. I'm sure I just said this. Did you? It just took a while to get there. <laughs> I got, lost in, I got lost in Science Research Associates cards. Yeah, oh, man, I love those cards. Let's stop talking about them. Don't, don't get me mixed up. I'll so how many episodes more. have you watched, Andrew? Oh, three or four. Uh, worth sticking good with? Thing. Oh, yeah, it's great. Not unlike Garibaldi, he's asking for men willing to lay down their lives. I offer you nothing but, um, you know, cold, hunger, forced marches and suffering, you know. But uh, Where do I sign? Exactly. Um, so it's, it's I'm going to say it sounds a little bit like my experience of hiking in New Zealand, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would equate your experience of hiking in New Zealand with the, the plight of the uh, African-American slaves in the 1860s. Oh, okay, sure. okay, okay. So you're saying it wasn't raining. It wasn't raining there. <laughs> uh, it wasn't raining. Andrew, I want to skip gear, like, massively here. Mm. <laughs> and ask you if you've watched Emily in Paris. And I think I know the answer is going to be no. I have not watched Emily in Paris. I watched the entire thing with my wife and <laughs> finding finding a show to watch with my wife is, is like, very hard. Uh, mm-hmm. And finding a show that she will watch and stay awake for past about the 11-minute mark is, like, mm-hmm. almost impossible. Mm-hmm. She watched this whole thing. So it was like, oh, my God. What does that say about your wife? I, I, it says that she's a delightful woman. Hi. Hello. Uh, bonjour. I'm Emily Cooper from the Gilbert Group in Chicago. You are? I'm sorry, I don't understand. Oh. I'm going to be working in this office. Je vais travailler dans ce bureau. I would say that Emily in Paris was some of the most ridiculously... <laughs> poorly put together TV in some respects mm. that I've watched in a long time compared to all the incredibly beautifully crafted and wrought drama that's available to watch. Is it drama? It's it's a rom-com, basically. It's a rom-com okay. series. And it's from Darren Starr, the guy who gave us um, yes. most recently Younger, but going way back, Beverly Hills, 90210, Melrose Place, oh, Central okay. Park West. I mean, he's he's Gosh. been a prolific and very important figure in um, sort of, you know, contemporary American uh, TV. This, uh, I would say it is at the most frippery kind of end of his work. And um, it was just like... It was terrible, and it was really enjoyable. It, it was like eating a bowl of Pringles or something. <laughs> was, a, whole, a whole, a whole canister, a whole canister of them. It had absolutely so zero nutritional or intellectual <laughs> value, but it was kind of fun. And I, I did. I have to say, towards the end, I actually genuinely laughed at a few scenes, and not in derision. I actually mm. laughed because I thought, "Oh, that was quite funny." So you. Uh, a lot more. Had you become a carpenter mm-hmm. instead of what you do now, I don't think you would be anywhere near as generous with the uh, filmed entertainment that you watch as you are. I think. Meaning, uh, that, someone meaning if I had something. to get up at six in the morning 
Yeah. <laughs> I would, I'm going to say that a lot of people would see that as a, as a good quality of yours, that you're generous <laughs> and not harsh and, you're, and, and really critical, in fact. You know? Oh, I, I, think, I, think you're being, uh, I think you're being passive-aggressively critical there yourself, Andrew Young. I'm not. I respect Carpenter. I am, I am quite I capable of being critical, but, I'm, but I, I also, I think, uh, try to engage with programs, movies, whatever, on the terms they're setting rather than an abstract set of terms that I bring to bear on them. So if it's a kid's movie, I'm not going to assess it as if it were a, a, a Kubrick film. You know, it's like you, you, have to, you have to come at it from what is its ambition, what, is, what are the parameters it's setting for itself, what is its target market, its audience, and how does it achieve or fail to achieve on those, uh, on those bases. That's how I come so, at it. Emily okay. in Paris is designed as light entertaining fluff and it delivers that deserves more sorry the audience the target audience for emily in paris you think they don't deserve any better than i think the target audience uh, for emily in paris gets exactly what they think they're getting (laughs) they get exactly (laughs) what they sign up for which is do they get exactly what they deserve uh, that's, that's a different uh, question. You've, it's it's loaded, Andrew. You're being you're being you're, you're letting your your snobbish slip show. I think it's I think so. it is what hey, it wait, is. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, don't forget, it is it is I who brings the Ryan Murphy to this podcast. <laughs> don't forget that, my friend. Ryan Murphy okay. is the Darren Star of his generation, is what I would say. I was going to say Darren Star is no Ryan Murphy. Of course, <laughs> I'm, I'm comparing. You know, I'm, I'm comparing uh, Citizen Kane with Neighbours, but, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I think it's, I, I'm entirely. I would entirely say that Ryan Murphy probably you. is elevated camp, whereas Darren Starr is just camp. <laughs> Gutter camp. <laughs> Feel free, continue to uh, call me a snob. It's. I will. Not a badge I wear with shame, neither is a badge I wear with pride. It's just what I am, <laughs> a snob. I'm left-handed. I make no apologies for being left-handed. I don't go around telling everybody how great left-handed people are. Oh, actually, I do. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm left-handed. That's just how it goes. And it's the same with my snobbery. <laughs> oh, dear. Um. <laughs> it doesn't make me better than you. It just makes me better than most other people. That's all. Oh, what can I say to that other than... <laughs> <laughs> Don't watch Emily in Paris is what I'm going to say to that, okay? No, all the, well, I'll just finish on Emily in Paris by saying that while we were locked into our homes, not able to go much further than the end of the street, yeah. watching this fantasy version of Paris mm-hmm. really did hold a certain appeal, like I can say. Well, I'll tell you something about Emily in Paris that I know. Okay, that if you've been in hospital and you've had to have general anaesthetic and you've come out of the general anaesthetic and you may or may not know one is not oneself and one is under general anaesthetic and Mm. it takes quite a while to get that all out of your system, a person who is still groggy and insensible and slack of limb and uh, feeble of mind from general anaesthetic can watch the whole season of Emily in Paris from soup to nuts and get a strange sense of enjoyment from it. (laughs) Do you say this from personal experience? I do. I know somebody who has... Uh, everything that I've just said. I would, I would actually suggest that 
Emily in Paris is such a sort of strange, con- you know, contrived version of the experience of an expat anywhere mm. uh, in any foreign country, let alone in Paris, and such a bizarre fantasy version of Paris <laughs> mm. that it probably is a little bit like being in that post-anesthetic hallucinatory state anyway. Yeah, so the be- it's, I'm saying, I guess I'm saying it's the best show if anybody out there is uh, having a procedure. And, uh, and I'm, saying, I'm saying you can approach the state of somebody who's had the procedure <laughs> without necessarily having to go through the pain. Ah, okay, there you go. Everybody wins with Emily from Paris <laughs> or in Paris or of Paris. Indeed. I don't know. Thank you for listening. That's it for the Clappers. Until next time. Bye.